Hello there, my name is Paul James and welcome to Gamer School. In this series, I'll be diving into the archives of our great industry and on a regular basis we'll deliver you a sequence of lessons focusing on one of the industry's greatest studios or franchises, notable for all they've inspired and created, for delivering incredible memories and having been leaders in shaping the industry into what it currently is. In lesson two, I'm here to talk to you about the Tomb Raider franchise. And as I will, every time we meet, we'll begin things kicking off with our history lesson. For the longest time, gaming heroes were male. They could only be male, and the decision to deviate from this unwritten rule was thought of as financial suicide. It wasn't until 1993 when one company decided to buck the trend. And so, a number of years later, the first lady of gaming was brought into the world. Initially one of two optional protagonists, a male and a female character, the development team at Core Design, and in particular, designer Toby Gard, determined that to save space, they would cut down on the number of playable characters with the female option, one that ultimately became Lara, being the chosen star. Tomb Raider had been born. Originally named Laura Cruz, the decision to present a female playable protagonist in a big budget game was unprecedented, but was informed by an observation by Guard that when watching people play Virtua Fighter, one of the two human players would always pick one of the only two available female fighters. As Lara's story began to take shape, and with a bit of influence from Eidos, who were seeking a more UK-friendly name, it was determined that she would have an English background, and this prompted the name change to Lara Croft. Lara was not initially the lovable female Indiana Jones that we saw her develop into. At stages, she took on a number of different forms that included ruthless military variants, an 11th generation countess, and a thrill-seeker, amongst several others. One of the more controversial aspects of the Lara character has been her bust size. Core Design's intention was to guarantee a very, quote, girlish look. Exaggerated features were a given due to limited technology at the time, but when an accidental slip of the mouse resulted in a breast increase of 150% instead of the intended 50%, little did they know how much debate would eventually arise. This wasn't Guard's intent, but when the change was met by instant approval from the team, the breast size stuck, and years of commentary would begin. Lara became instantly iconic within the gaming industry, not because of the quality of her games, but her cup size, prompting the infamous Nude Raider patch. This unfortunate blemish on the franchise's name was developed externally, and not by anyone at the team, but it proliferated so much that Core Design took action against any site that hosted pictures in an attempt to clean up any potential perceptions relating to the franchise or its developer. Tomb Raider was the first game to kick off the franchise. The October 1996 release first introduces to Lara, as well as a perspective and gameplay approach that has largely persisted in the two decades plus that have passed since her debut. Launching only six weeks after the release of Super Mario 64, Tomb Raider flew to the top of the sales charts where it remained for several months. As well as being a superb action game, Lara's first entry arrived at a point of change in console gaming with 3D visuals and a wave of sex appeal guaranteeing a lengthy stint at the forefront of gamers' minds. Lara's first adventure saw her travel to several locations including New Mexico and Egypt in a story that involves Atlantis and horrific mutant beasts. Tomb Raider was released on Sega Saturn, PC and PlayStation before it was remade and re-released in the form of Tomb Raider Anniversary for the PS2, PS3, Xbox 360, Wii, PSP and PC in June of 2007. We'll talk more about Anniversary shortly though. 
a year later saw the release of Tomb Raider 2, where Lara was again a star of the PlayStation, despite being released on other platforms. Conceptual development began before the first game launched, with a number of ideas that emerged through the development of the original game coming to fruition in the sequel. While the majority of the team remained intact for the follow-up, some key personnel departed, including Lara's creator, Toby Gard. With only a year to develop the game, Core Design opted to adopt an improve and tweak philosophy as opposed to rebuilding the game engine from scratch. And this led to many mechanical similarities, but also improvements to the camera, as well as the original game's polygonal glitches. Lara herself also received a small makeover, with technological refinements allowing Core to render smoother features and Lara's free-flowing ponytail, amongst several other changes. A mere month before Lara's second adventure launched, a deal was struck between Core's publisher Eidos and Sony to ensure that Tomb Raider 2, as well as future console iterations, were contained to the PlayStation platform until the year 2000. For both parties, this proved to be an extremely beneficial agreement, with Sony building Lara into a platform mascot, while Lara herself rode the extraordinary wave of success that the PS1 achieved. Tomb Raider brand's rise to stardom was well and truly underway. With Tomb Raider 3, it was the case of another year, another Tomb Raider entry. More improvements were made to the game's engine, but a push for more puzzle-focused gameplay, rather than the action-centred approach of the second franchise entry, made Lara's third trek feel more like her first. This feeling of similarity did begin to trigger some concerns in the minds of reviewers, however, with many citing a, quote, been there, done that feel about the game. Consequently, both review scores and sales figures dipped somewhat when compared to prior entries. With the decision made to align with PlayStation, this meant a change of focus for core design. Tomb Raider 3 was developed with the PS1 in mind first and foremost, meaning that we saw several visual and systemic improvements, from the use of polygons to improve detailing, new lighting systems, and much more. These inclusions were then improved upon further for the game's PC release. The last game to come of the partnership between Sony, Eidos and Core Design was 1999's Tomb Raider The Last Revelation. Initially releasing on the PS1 and PC the week of November 19th, 1999, Last Revelation introduced a series of new mechanics, as well as the ability to revisit prior levels and complete other levels in a non-linear fashion. Development began on the game in 1998 as work on Tomb Raider 3 came to a close, but the game's engine was this time designed with PC in mind then scaling the game back for the PS1 version. The game eventually launched on Dreamcast in March 2000, with the deal between Eidos and Sony now over. After years of rigorous work on four back-to-back -back Tomb Raider games, the fatigue was beginning to set in. Creative fatigue specifically was something cited by designer Andy Sandham as a primary reason behind the decision to kill Lara at the end of the game. He stated, We all wanted to kill Lara, Looking at Lara's avatar all day every day for two years was about as much as some of us could take. Management was pretty hands off, so for two weeks we hatched a plan to kill Lara and followed it through to fruition. By fruition, I mean Jeremy Heath Smith, core design CEO, finding out we had killed her and it was too far gone to reverse it, and taking us into his office and shouting at us. Of course, dramatic deaths in entertainment can often mean very little, and this proved to be the case for Lara. In 2000, two games were released. One, simply titled Tomb Raider, was Lara's first portable outing, 
and the first published by THQ as opposed to Eidos. Lara's first mobile journey was fairly well received and it took some creative risks, bucking the trend of keeping player characters between 16 and 32 pixels tall by making her 48 pixels tall to accentuate her features. While Lara herself also featured 2000 frames of animation, a large number for the time. In the same year, core design veterans were working hard to release Tomb Raider Chronicles, a half-step for the IP which saw a group of Lara's friends gathering at her memorial service to recount stories about some of her prior exploits. Based largely on cut content from The Last Revelation, Chronicles to this day is one of the worst received games in the franchise, both in terms of critical reception and sales. Indeed, we can only hope and pray that she may yet return to us. But I fear Von Croy digging in the hopes of discovering her alive may only be met with black reality. Indeed, indeed. Three Tomb Raider projects were in the works through 2001, each one releasing in consecutive years. The first was a follow-up to the previous year's portable entry in the form of Tomb Raider Curse of the Sword. Curse of the Sword was received not dissimilarly to its predecessor. Published by Activision, there were still many similarities between Curse of the Sword and its predecessor and fans were appreciative of the fact. 2002's Tomb Raider The Prophecy for GBA was not so popular, but was also the first Tomb Raider game not to be developed in-house at Core Design. Prophecy was criticised for its very repetitive and not especially original gameplay loop. Ubisoft's first foray with the franchise did not go down very well. The final of the three simultaneously developed Tomb Raider games was the next-gen release of Tomb Raider The Angel of Darkness, and this was a pivotal point for the IP where the opinion from the critical mass began to turn. The goodwill that the Tomb Raider brand had built up over the franchise's early years was diminishing rapidly, and Angel of Darkness was perhaps the lowest point for the IP. Reviewers and consumers alike were bonded over their collective distaste for the game, citing the strong narrative and impressive level design as not being enough to overcome the many drawbacks that included a rough character model for Lara, many performance hitches across both versions of the game, an excessive number of loading screens, and moment-to-moment -moment gameplay being comparatively poor to other then-available alternatives in the marketplace. After years of consecutive releases between 1996 and 2003, it was Angel of Darkness that prompted a three-year hiatus for Lara and her adventures. Releasing in 2001 and 2003 were two film spin-offs to the franchise in the form of Lara Croft Tomb Raider and Lara Croft Tomb Raider The Cradle of Life. Both films starred Angelina Jolie and served as an enormous profile boost for the gaming franchise. In spite of what was transpiring in the gaming space and the fact that neither film were considered critical darlings, both films served as a significant PR win for the franchise. Lara was again the star of the big screen in the release of the 2018 film Tomb Raider starring Alicia Vikander. Overall, the film was met with mixed to positive reviews, with the potential for a sequel currently being discussed. It was three years before we were in control of Lara's fate again, 
and the interim period was one of turmoil and change for the IP. After the backlash directed at Angel of Darkness, Eidos decided the time was right to take the reins of the Tomb Raider franchise and pass them on to a new studio. Core Design had been responsible, directly or otherwise, for nine series entries between 1996 and 2003, but 2006's release Tomb Raider Legend was handled by a new team, one that had previously cut its teeth on profile titles such as Gex and the Soul Reaver IP. The poor reception to Angel of Darkness, coupled with the regular commentary out of Core Design that they were burnt out on Tomb Raider, made the decision to transition to a new team an easy one for the publisher. The decision still didn't sit well with some throughout core design, with commentary emerging from key personnel in the following years that was reflective of a team who felt betrayed by their publisher. A common prevailing feeling throughout those in the studio when they were stripped of the Tomb Raider IP was one of confusion. After over a decade of hard work, many sacrifices, incredible successes, and their IP being the primary reason behind Eidos' success, they were unceremoniously booted off the franchise after the release of only one poorly received title. Core Design's doors were shuttered in 2010 after only one post-Tomb Raider release, 2005's Smart Bomb for the PSP. Releasing in April 2006, Tomb Raider Legend was a marked improvement over recent entries. Many critics considered it to be a massive return to form for the franchise. Lara's hunt for the long-lost mythical sword Excalibur was a revitalization of many of the core tenets of the franchise, with Lara's creator Toby Gard returning while the game's composer, Trolls Brunfolman, designed the game's music to change during levels to gel more with the moment-to-moment -moment action. In celebration of her decade in the industry, Crystal Dynamics, with the help of BuzzMonkey Software, began work on a remake of Lara's original adventure. Tomb Raider Anniversary was released in June of 2007 and was expanded and adjusted in specific ways that enabled it to fit within the continuity of the previous year's Tomb Raider legend. This was not the first time that a remake of Lara's first adventure had been conceived. The original was proposed by Core Design in 2005 and was destined to come to the PSP and PS2 and was intended to stick far closer to the original version than Anniversary eventually did. That project died when Core Design were relieved of their responsibility of the Tomb Raider franchise though. Momentum was beginning to build once again for the Tomb Raider franchise, and with releases in consecutive years in the form of Legend and Anniversary, that momentum wasn't about to fade with the release of Tomb Raider Underworld in 2008. A new engine, that was later used in the development of Deus Ex Human Revolution, was developed in the attempts to bring Lara's looks closer to a point of photorealism, while other changes sought to improve upon many of the concerns raised about the prior two entries. Unfortunately, in spite of making several large improvements, a great number of critics took aim at the uncooperative camera control, while several others were also unhappy with the game's combat. In spite of the expressed critiques, Underworld was another well-received Tomb Raider entry. The winds of change were heading towards the Tomb Raider franchise, and Crystal Dynamics' first attempt to shake things up came in the form of the 2010 spin-off release, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. The top-down isometric camera looked down upon a very different gameplay approach to any of Lara's previous adventures, with the design philosophy being to create a more arcade-inspired action game. 
the best reviewed Lara Croft or Tomb Raider game in many years, Guardian of Light initially launched as a part of Xbox 360's summer slash winter of arcade initiative. The game then launched on other platforms four weeks later. Four years later, we saw Lara once again in spin-off form courtesy of Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris. Though not as universally praised, the follow-up enhanced many aspects of the original game and focused more heavily upon co-op play. A famous explorer once said that the extraordinary is in what we do, not who we are. The Tomb Raider franchise had been through its ups and downs and had been through several periods of transition, but it was what Crystal Dynamics had been cooking up for Lara's 2013 adventure that was set to redefine the way that many looked at the Tomb Raider franchise. The era in which Lara was returning to the spotlight though was very different to the one she departed us in. Naughty Dog's Uncharted franchise had transformed the way that many saw the third person action adventure, and the pressure was on Crystal Dynamics and Lara to keep up with the new genre leader. While taking many influences from the releases of Naughty Dog's Uncharted Drake's Fortune through Uncharted Drake's Deception, it was a clear intent from Crystal to make tonal changes to differentiate Lara's latest adventure from the highly popular Uncharted IP. Tomb Raider, when it released on March 5th 2013, presented us with a much darker game than Uncharted or previous Tomb Raider entries. A very real feeling of tension, a heightened emphasis on stealth, and extremely violent death animations were all the things that caught the attention of fans and critics alike. On top of that, we assumed the role of a very inexperienced, very raw Lara who was still finding her way in the world, and had our first taste of what multiplayer in a Tomb Raider game could look like. A definitive edition of the game was released on next-gen platforms, the PS4 and the Xbox One, a year later. In these sessions. Forgoing the annual release pattern of previous Tomb Raider release arcs, it wasn't until 2015 before we saw the release of Lara's next adventure. Development began on the sequel to Tomb Raider, eventually titled Rise of the Tomb Raider, shortly after the release of the 2013 reboot, with player feedback being central to the development process behind the game, with more puzzles and challenge tombs, fewer quick time events, and some smaller hub-like regions all being among the key outcomes from this developmental approach. Though the reboot, and eventually the 2015 successor, were critically acclaimed, neither game was immune from some degree of controversy. Though a great number of people were impressed by the overly gruesome deaths that Lara endured, with many speaking of how the brutality of those deaths actually motivated them to be even more cautious and considered while playing, some circles were repulsed by how violent the 2013 game could be, and in particular the conversation focused on one scene that spurred on heated message board and social media debates about potential sexual violence. Fortunately, the speculation, fueled by a quick cut in a pre-release trailer, turned out to be incorrect. The intense spotlight was shone upon the game regardless. Rise of the Tomb Raider's period of exclusivity to the Xbox One was also a significant topic of conversation for the largest period of that game's first 12 months of exclusivity. Twenty fifteen didn't only play host to a new core franchise entry. Lara made her way back to the mobile arena, this time via app stores. Lara Croft Relic Run served as a take on the popular endless runner genre, drawing instant comparisons to genre leaders like Temple Run. Though it was the recipient of mixed to positive reviews, it wasn't the only mobile game to release in that calendar year. 
A few short months later, Square Enix launched Lara Croft Go to mobile platforms, where the turn-based puzzle game was heaped with praise and was even recognised by some outlets, including Apple themselves, as being the best mobile game of the year. For 2018's release of Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the reins for the IP had been handed on to Eidos Montreal, who had developed both Deus Ex reboots as well as 2014's Thief reboot. They had previously assisted Crystal Dynamics in the development of both prior games, but with this most recent release, it was their time to shine. Shadow of the Tomb Raider supposedly serves as the final act in Lara's coming-of-age story arc and was the recipient of generally favourable reviews from critics. Crystal Dynamics, on the other hand, began work on a Marvel Avengers title There have also been a small handful of publicly acknowledged Tomb Raider games that never saw the light of day. Before the strong negative reception that Angel of Darkness received, there were actually two more games planned that would have made up a trilogy. Those were both cancelled despite the fact that one of them, titled The Lost Dominion, had already begun preliminary development. Core Design's focus at this point shifted to, coincidentally, a remake of the original Tomb Raider game for the PSP. The game, to be called Tomb Raider The Anniversary Edition, was targeting a holiday 2006 release. When Core Design was sold to Rebellion Developments, Eidos saw to it that their project was cancelled, with their rationale being they didn't want external teams working on their IP. I'm not turning back. As we stand, the future of the Tomb Raider IP is a little unclear. In November 2020, it was revealed that a new Tomb Raider mobile spin-off was on track for 2021 in the form of Tomb Raider Reloaded, a game we know little of so far while stewards of the franchise Crystal Dynamics are still hard at work on the recently released, but not well received, Marvel's Avengers. Questions still remain about where and when the franchise will continue. Is there a short-term future in store, or will Lara again go on sabbatical? And when does she return? Will we be experiencing more of young Lara, or will we be again be in the boots of the more experienced heroine that kicked things off? Only time will tell. And so it's at this point that we'll take a quick recess, enjoy a break, enjoy some music from the Tomb Raider franchise, and we'll be back shortly with the mechanics and mathematics lesson. Hello and welcome back. In this lesson we'll be looking at the mechanical and mathematical aspects of the Tomb Raider IP. 
There have been several arcs and iterations of Lara and the Tomb Raider franchise, and while many of the core tenants of the IP have remained the same throughout, others have changed or received facelifts over the journey. These are things you expect of a franchise that is now entering its third decade of existence, but the story of Tomb Raider is an ever-evolving one, and it's time we explored those mechanical trends and differences over the duration of the franchise's existence. Beginning with the original Tomb Raider in 1996, the foundations for the franchise were laid. A third-person action-adventure experience with the camera following Lara from an over-the-shoulder perspective. Players did have a level of control over the camera, however, allowing you to crane it around to study the environment around you. Unfortunately though, the camera was prone to reclaim control of itself at pivotal moments in gameplay. This concept has persisted throughout all entries in the franchise, leading to this very day. Lara's earliest adventures were also among the few games of the time, and especially those of the 3D variety, to feature swimming, a mechanic that was rarely executed well by our contemporaries. Movement wasn't nearly as fluid as we've come to expect from modernised Tomb Raider games, with core design employing tank controls, something that was forced upon them somewhat by the restrictions imposed by the original PlayStation controller, which lacked an analogue stick for the earliest stages of the generation. Though, even when dual analogue sticks were included in the DualShock, it was hard for Core, as well as other developers, to plan for those who either had or hadn't upgraded to the greatly improved control scheme. With each game that was released, there were gradual improvements made to the formula. In the early days, when five games released in as many years, the strides made from game to game were often smaller, and consisted of a new weapon, vehicle type, the ability to climb ladders, use rope swings, or other new acrobatic abilities elements of non-linearity as well. One particularly large change emerged between the first and second entry and it involved save game states, with Core opting against having specific save points in favour of using save crystals which could be cashed in at any time to record your progression. Sales for each entry in the franchise through the PS1 era were strong to say the least, with Lara's debut outing registering at least 7 million physical copies sold while Tomb Raider 2, 3, and The Last Revelation registered figures of 6.5, 6, and 5 million units respectively. The drop, however, was quite sudden for 2000's Tomb Raider Chronicles, with it only mustering 1.5 million sales. Of course, all these sale figures fail to include digital sales on the PS3, PSP, or Vita in the years that have followed since their original release. Right, in your next life, we'll see. Though, as it was discussed in the last lesson, the PS2 entry Angel of Darkness was a critical and commercial flop, the three-year gap between the 2000 release of Chronicles and its own 2003 release allowed Core to take a step back and look at the fundamentals underpinning the experience. Layered on top of the established rule set for the franchise, Angel of Darkness was the first Tomb Raider to include a stamina bar. The stamina bar depleted whenever Lara engaged in some form of climbing. Certain actions though, as well as of course finding a flat surface to stand on, would reduce the depletion rate of her stamina. Angel of Darkness was also the first franchise entry to include dialogue options with NPCs, and the outcome of some of these exchanges actually affected how you progressed through the game. Despite these many new improvements to the game, the transition to a new generation platform was not kind to Lara, with the game plagued by many technical and mechanical issues that frustrated the audience. With the incredible success of the PS2, Angel of Darkness's 2.5 million unit sales figure was not looked upon favourably by key stakeholders, prompting the change in direction and developer that we've already discussed at length to this point.
with Crystal Dynamics taking the reins from Core Design for the releases of Tomb Raider Legend, Anniversary and Underworld, the slate was by and large wiped clean, allowing the new team to work on new entries without the baggage that Core Design had carried with them for so long. With so many improvements in technology having been made since Lara's first adventure, it meant that the tastes of gamers had changed significantly over the years. The balance of platforming versus puzzles versus combat needed to be revisited, and specifically with the latter taking up far more of the playing experience than it once did. Lara could now lock onto enemies, making shooting much more polished. She could also boast a secondary weapon, as well as her famous twin pistols, while checkpointing was the latest approach to saving. Developing for so many platforms, from the first HD consoles in the form of the PS3 and the Xbox 360, to the PS2, PSP, Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, PC, and even Nintendo's Wii, caused Crystal a number of headaches with much work needing to be outsourced to other studios who could work within the constraints of each different platform. The motion controls of the Wii also proved to be a massive factor, with the then fastest selling console in the world forcing Crystal's hand somewhat to take advantage of the platform's unique properties. Unfortunately, the motion control in both Anniversary and Underworld proved to be a bit divisive, but it was not seen after the release of Underworld in 2008. With the release of 2013's Tomb Raider reboot and the sequels concluding with 2018's Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Lara's adventures finally seemed to take on a coherent, easily distinguishable form. The recent entries had pulled so much from Naughty Dog's Uncharted series, but Uncharted itself pulls a lot from Tomb Raider, so while the two have trended in similar directions, both have endeavoured to make strides to differentiate themselves from the other. Both franchises had historically been fairly linear affairs, and even though in past Tomb Raider games, you had the agency to choose your next location, you were then ultimately forced down a corridor of sorts until that region was excavated. The rebooted games were in some ways more linear than those predecessors, forcing you down one narrative dictated path, but the latest trilogy of titles were being praised for their hub-like qualities. With each new region you discover, you can opt to follow the critical path or go off the beaten track and explore the myriad of challenge tombs, explore a crypt, go and complete some side missions, or go and hunt some of the local wildlife. The same trilogy has also taken some larger strides into the RPG genre, with many systems coming across that involve the betterment of weapons and gear, skill trees, as well as much more. The implementation of these various systems and design philosophies have added hours of gameplay, greater depth, and made the world feel much more lived in, as well as bursting with life. All have been well received by critics and players alike. Though apparently still not meeting financial expectations, Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider's sales figures are the highest we've seen for the franchise to date. With the 2013 reboot registering 11 million units sold, Rise of the Tomb Raider clocked up another 7 million despite its initial console exclusivity period, while Shadow of the Tomb Raider has anecdotally already shifted in excess of 4 million units by the end of its release year. All of these figures may or may not include digital sales and are ever changing. Both the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot, as well as Rise of the Tomb Raider, have brought something very new to the franchise. The 2013 release saw a franchise first multiplayer mode enter the fray. However, it wasn't overly well received, and in fact was cut from the game when the remaster arrived on next gen systems. 
The multiplayer mode was fairly bare bones, and many punters believe it was a rushed inclusion, prompted by a decision brought down from Square Enix to have some sort of multiplayer functionality, given the massive successes of Call of Duty, Battlefield, and even Uncharted's own multiplayer modes. Rise of the Tomb Raider initially launched exclusively for the Xbox One in 2015, but when it launched on the PS4 a year later, it came with a console-exclusive VR mode, in time for the launch of the PlayStation VR platform. The mode, called Blood Ties, saw Lara exploring Croft Manor, and whilst it didn't throw up any brutal combat segments, it served as a fantastic slice of story insight, and was simultaneously a demonstration for what was possible on the VR platform. Not to be forgotten during this resurgent phase for the Tomb Raider franchise were the mobile titles, Lara Croft Relic Run, which has seen at least 10 million downloads in the years since its initial launch in early 2015, and Lara Croft Go, which was so successful as a premium priced mobile title that it transitioned to PlayStation platforms and achieved success there as well. And so that's the main break. Enjoy the break, enjoy some more music from the Tomb Raider franchise, and we'll be back shortly with our literature lesson. Hello and welcome back. In this lesson, we'll be looking at the literary aspects of the Tomb Raider IP. 
With two decades under its belt, there's plenty to discuss when it comes to the literary aspects of the Tomb Raider IP. And thanks to the nature of the stories the franchise tells, those literary aspects run particularly deep. Lara's a globetrotter, and as such we get some wonderful insights into the many ancient societies and cultures, the lives, admittedly, some with a few sprinkles of fiction layered throughout, of some particularly famous explorers and their exploits, but it's some of the common themes throughout each game that will follow throughout this lesson. There have been a total of 12 core entries to the franchise since it was first conceived, with several other spin-offs across multiple platforms, but despite the many years in gestation and the many hands that have worked on the franchise, the many core philosophies that underpin the franchise have remained intact, even if their emphasis has potentially waned somewhat. Lara is an archaeologist who ventures into forgotten lands to uncover the great mysteries contained within. This premise alone has been the driving force for her many differing adventures, and while even the post-2013 releases have spent a little less time focusing on this aspect, the influence still shines through in the way Lara narrates your adventure with comments about all she's discovering and notes forever being made about whatever you uncover. The character of Lara herself is also one thing that needs to be discussed. There are two aspects of Lara that are always spoken of, her voluptuous figure that again changed significantly post-2013, and her attitude. The beauty of Lara isn't just in her figure, and while many a comment has been made about her chest region in the early days, and how particularly immature corners of the internet took that and ran a mile with it, Lara's greatest asset is of course her strength. Fans of the franchise, since its inception, and even those who only saw the film starring Angelina Jolie, would remember Lara to be strong, confident, even bordering on an arrogant figure. So sure in her abilities that you never had to doubt the outcome of even the most dire looking situation. One-liners were the norm, and a general disregard for anything other than the prize she had her eyes set upon was standard, but with the 2013 release came a newfound maturity for the franchise. Twenty thirteen was significant for the collective opinion of the Tomb Raider franchise, and while the gameplay comparisons between it and the then King of the Genre Uncharted were plentiful, it's the changes to those intrinsic aspects of the franchise that we just spoke of that were beginning to take a new form. The 2013 Tomb Raider was not only a franchise reboot of sorts, but also a prequel to everything we'd seen of Lara so far. She was raw, untested, nervous, afraid, not prone to acts of violence, and ultimately traumatised by the events of that first game in the new arc. Lara was younger, and hadn't yet developed that cockiness that we know of and we expected to come down the line. This vulnerability allowed players to attach themselves to the franchise in ways that many had been unable to do in the past. And when coupled with some cosmetic changes, Lara suddenly felt a lot more like all of us. Folk who'd never considered themselves adept with high ropes, gunplay and acrobatic movements such as those that we knew the older Lara was capable of. Of course, a young, scared and largely unwilling Lara didn't necessarily fit with the heightened focus on combat that we saw in the 2013 release, so the game was suddenly put on a pedestal as a game that demonstrated a heightened amount of ludonarrative dissonance, a disconnect between the gameplay and the story we're being told. It made sense too. Lara would be grieving over the fact that she needed to shoot down a deer in order to survive, yet only 15 minutes later you would be peering over perches, attempting to land the perfect headshot on a goon who wanted you dead. Suddenly older, cockier Lara 
made a little more sense to all of us, but the new direction was empowering for a large portion of the community and the story stronger for it. So young Lara continued to evolve through the following two releases. Though in the early days the capabilities were more restricted by the limited technology at our disposal, all Tomb Raider games have possessed various filmic qualities, from the constant pursuit of realism in Lara and her environment's looks, to the many soundtracks that have always chased the heights of the Hollywood greats. Lara's adventures have always looked and sounded the part. When Toby Gard first concocted the Tomb Raider franchise, Lara Croft was never designed to be a sexual icon, but she was designed to be a strong, powerful female figure in a sea of men. The greatest praise that can be given to his and the team at Core Design's original work is something like this, a look back on the incredible resonance that this franchise has had. Lara has gone on some incredible archaeological excursions, but she's simultaneously empowered countless thousands and maybe even millions of women and helped to shake the foundations of an industry that has all too often been thought of as a boys club. Lara's impact has been felt for two decades and will continue to resonate for years to come. And so with that closes another lesson of Gamer School. If you're looking for any more content from myself, then be sure to like, share and subscribe to this channel. And please visit player2.net.au for a whole lot of my written content as well. If you want to catch me for any follow-up chats, then I can be found on Twitter at PaulJamesGames, where I'll love to hear any feedback you've got to improve future lessons. As for now though, I hope you've learned something interesting that you can bring to your next online discussion. But until next time, that's all the time we've got. Class dismissed.